I'm in Kentucky visiting my in-laws this mm-hmm. week, and it's my father-in-law's birthday, and we went out to a little town called Midway, Kentucky, which is out in Woodford County, on the way to Woodford Reserve, which is, you know, nice, but so-called Midway because it's halfway between, it's Midway between Lexington and Frankfurt, and we went to this little cafe diner thing that's it was really crowded, has a huge lawn with lots of picnic tables. They were all full. We managed to get one, and the entire time, there was a goat on the property next door that was just bleeding and bleating and bleating. The entire, <laughs> the entire lunch was narrated by goats. Well and proper. That ben, goat, I want to know. I, I, I want to know who you paid off to to make this happen. I mean, I, 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 I have. Who do a, you know in Kentucky? Damn it! I have a Richmond cell of my nefarious operations, and then I'm originally from Cincinnati, right across the river from Kentucky. I have friends who lived in Kentucky, so obviously, uh, my influence spreads far and wide. I don't have any connections to tentacles, man. They, <laughs> I think, your goat tentacles. Uh, they somehow think, <laughs> reach uh, everywhere. A friend of mine's parents retired to Tennessee. That's as close as I can get. My grandparents also retired to Tennessee because there's no <laughs> okay. state income tax. That's why they do it. Maybe that's how our cells uh, can can communicate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a, a pincer movement through through tax free jurisdictions. That's <laughs> yes. the only place they can interact. We're, we're flanking Kentucky slowly. <laughs> For go- for goats. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, <laughs> I think. The Black and Red United Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. Their tentacles and mine can be found at blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, MLS, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, and whatever else in the world of soccer manages to catch our eye on a given day. We've got a good show for you tonight. Uh, like I said last week, it's always nice to say this two weeks in a row, but it's always a good show after DC United wins. They beat the Columbus crew 2 to nothing at RFK Stadium on Saturday night. We're, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about next Saturday when Sporting Kansas City come to town and DC United will play host to them 7 o'clock Saturday at RFK. Before we get to either of those things, Benjamin Bromley, what are you drinking so unlike you, who is in Kentucky, and I assume you are honoring the proud tradition of bourbon, like you normally do, and like I normally do, but today I am not honoring bourbon's proud tradition. I am drinking a Manhattan made with regular sweet vermouth, but then made with fireball cinnamon whiskey. Fuera Bromley. <laughs> <laughs> Fuera Bromley. It's I have time. no words. I have Spanish. no words. Wait, you're drinking. Show. You're drinking Fireball. A Fireball Manhattan. You're drinking Fireball. A Fireball Manhattan. The, the last time we tried to have a Fuera Bromley hashtag in the show, the show was no, no, never existed uh, beyond that point. <laughs> so true. we're probably, probably going to be a fantastic show that we lose. We're going to fly way too close to the sun tonight, apparently. Hopefully the show does not get infected by LA Galaxy herpes. That's true. <laughs> we should always hope that, though. Yes. More so, important, ben, ben, is your is your your, uh, your uh, bastard brew, uh, is it good? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Your abomination tastes Wait, why like... not? Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you want to know why not? I can tell you why not. 
<laughs> there are lots of reasons why not. Sure. That's a that's a convincing answer. Sure is the best answer we're going sure to get. Sure with a question mark. <laughs> yep. Ben, I, I, I'm actually not honoring the, the <laughs> bourbon-making tradition. We're, we're bending the guns already. Yeah. So, so you are bespoiling a traditional, classical American cocktail with cinnamon whiskey, and I'm in Kentucky not drinking bourbon. And instead, I'm drinking uh, an IPA by West Sixth Brewing, which is uh, from Lexington, Kentucky. So I'm drinking local, as you do. Uh, it's a good IPA. Um, for some reason, the can is metric. It's I get it is twelve. They do have ounces on it, but more prominent is the three hundred fifty-five milliliter, which I thought was funny, seeing just a metric do mark they have a on metric there. System in Kentucky. They they might because there are lots of Europeans that come over here because of horse racing and horse breeding. Only only during uh, daylight savings time. <laughs> or, or derby week. Then it reverts back. <laughs> Uh, who knows when daylight saving time is anymore? Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I my I can confirm that my beer came from a place that uses the metric system all the time. Not even even uh, when daylight saving time is not in effect. Um, or summertime, as they might call it. No, when daylight. I'm sticking with when daylight saving time is in effect. I don't want to get into when or where daylight saving time may or may not be at any given time. He never uh, learned. No, yeah, it's it's hard to learn, and I don't like it. Um, I have uh, Delirium Nocturnum uh, by Hoyg Brewery. I went very fancy. Classic. Uh, he did. In part because I drank all of my other beer last night. So <laughs> this, was the, this was the only beer available, and I didn't feel like uh, didn't feel like bourbon as much. So that's that's what I got. Uh, it is an absolutely delicious beer. If you find it, you should buy it and drink it. it out of a fancy glass, I have a, a, a snifter. Uh, I recommend the snifter. It makes it even more fancy. I think all the Belgian bars in D.C., the Belgian restaurants and, and bars that focus on Belgian beer, they all carry it. Yeah. So easy. Not not as difficult to find as you might expect. Yeah, it used to be much more difficult, but now it's it's popping up a little in more. In the district. Out, out here, too, in the sticks. We love our beer. Wow. Turns out. All right, let's talk soccer, you guys. D.C. United made a statement win. This weekend, two to nothing over Columbus Crew SC. Um, they opened on a counterattack. Chris Rolfe found Fabiana Spindola streaking behind the defense. He put it past Steve Clark. Uh, the second came off of Fabiana Spindola in corner, put it over everybody to the back post. Steve Clark flailed at it before Sean Franklin knocked it in um, at the back post. Columbus controlled possession really throughout this this game. Um, I know game states they're going to dominate possession when they're down two, but they were they were in control of possession even from the opening whistle. That said, they didn't get a shot on target until the 70th minute. They only tested Bill Hamid three times, three shots that were actually on goal, um, made it through the defense and were on target. Um, Jason, this is how Benny Ball is supposed to work, right? This is Benny Ball when it works. Uh to a certain extent, I mean, I don't think um, I don't think Olsen wants to be outpossessed. Uh, I think it was like fifty-seven to forty-three percent. I don't think he wants that, regardless of game states. Um, but against Columbus, you have to admit that they're better at keeping the ball than DC United is. If if they're if you took the goals out of soccer, Columbus is going to win most games uh, based on possession stats. Um, 
So yeah, they're one of the best uh, possession teams in MLS. Right, and it's it's something that they are specifically built for. Everything that they do is built around keeping the ball. So of course they're going to outpossess a team that is a little more um, pragmatic, uh, shall we say, about possession. It's not really that important to Olsen to keep the ball that much. Um, I'm sure he would prefer it to be closer to like 47, 48% in a game like this, but um, you score in the 10th minute and Columbus is definitely going to push more men forward and commit more numbers, so they're going to get, keep that possession number up all game long. Um, but I think the main thing, and Adam was talking about the shot totals, that's kind of where the, the Benny Ball execution was well was really strong because I looked at, I think I tweeted this out late last night, I probably should have saved it during uh, hours when people were awake, but um, DC gave up three shots on goal, and they were all from over 22 yards out. They were really like 23, 24, 25. They were long-range shots that really didn't have much of a hope. Um, only five of Columbus's shots were from inside the box, um, DC blocked five shots, which meant that Columbus was giving up on, they were giving up on the attack and just having a shot because they didn't know what else to do. And they're shooting into a high traffic area and just, it hits somebody and doesn't go in, um, or doesn't go on frame. So it was, even though Columbus got a lot of shots, it's, there are shots that are such low percentage that you're willing to live with that because even when DC gives up long shots, they tend to be, someone's being con- challenged for the, for the shot. It's not an easy shot from, 25 yards where someone's got a perfect setup. It's, you know, you're trying to shoot while Davey Arnold or Perry Kitchen is about to run into you, so your shot isn't going to be as good. Um, and that might be why in the expected goals figures we see sometimes that um, I think those shots might be a little overrated in some of those uh, metrics because they end up making it look like DC should have lost by, like, three goals. Um, but when you go back and look at the actual shots, it's like, oh, well, they've never really threatened. And this was that kind of game. Um, and it's mostly down to just being smart and organized and, and not allowing big gaps, not letting teams get in behind. Columbus had a really difficult time getting in behind. Um, and they tried through um, Ethan Finley. That didn't work out very often. Um, Kai Kamara couldn't really get anything going. He was um, pretty frustrated as the game wore on, mostly because every time he went up for a header, even the headers he was winning, they were challenged, um, which is the whole thing with him. You're not going to beat him on that many headers, but you just want to make sure he can't control what what's there. And DC did a great job with that. Boswell and, and Kofi Opare um, had good games. Um, Federico Higuain couldn't really find any space to breathe. So as far as staying organized and um, making it difficult to find a way to beat United, that was going on all game. And I think it was just down to United just seemed like the smarter team on the field. Um, they were in. They were where Columbus wanted to go before Columbus could even make up their mind where they wanted to go. Um, and so a lot of times Columbus would say, "Oh, we'll, we'll keep connecting passes," but the passes were harmless. And eventually, you know, every pass you every pass you connect is one is a lower chance that the next one's going to be completed. That's why you don't see 25 passes completed in a row while you're on an attack very often. And so Columbus connects 10, 11 passes but they're still not getting anywhere, and eventually they give up and hoof a cross in or take a shot from 30 yards or what have you, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of the deal with, with um, United's defensive strategy. Kind of, if you can't win the ball, you're at least making the team take a bad shot that they don't really want to take. Yeah, Columbus is actually interesting this year because with Kai Kamara there in the middle, they're a really, really possession-oriented team that nevertheless loves crosses. Yeah, more they than anyone. Looking for him. It's, yeah, they send more crosses in than anyone else yeah. in the league, 
which is usually the sign of a team that doesn't know what it's doing with the ball on the ground. Right. At least in MLS. But but Columbus obviously does know what they're doing. They're just, I, I guess teams are packing the center against them in the final third, and so they're setting it out wide. And they're happy to because they have Kai Kamara, right. who can beat almost anybody in the air. Um, but. And the other thing is they they like to attack at, at a certain speed, and you and United made it hard for them to get up to that speed. So they would mm-hmm. still get the same numbers forward. Their fullbacks would push up really high. Um, somebody that was sitting behind me when um, the halftime sub with Waylon Francis coming off, he was like, "All right, they took off Miram. He's a winger. That other guy was also like out on the wing, right?" And that was way he was talking about Waylon Francis, the fullback, um, which is kind of mm-hmm. illustrative of how Columbus wants to play. Um, but it still took Columbus a long time to get those players into a position where they were actually able to contribute. And by that point, United had its its block of eight set up and everyone was accounted for and the spaces were, were narrow. And all of a sudden, it's a very predictable cross that is easy to deal with for everyone involved. So um, keeping Columbus from attacking with speed, it means, yes, they can connect more passes, but they're, they're harmless passes. Um, and so United controlled the game. We've seen a couple games go poorly for United where they didn't control the speed of play. This was a game where they controlled the speed of play throughout, even if they didn't have the ball as much as, as anyone would like to see. There were moments, of course, when United decided to put the pedal to the metal, um, the first goal being foremost among those moments. D.C. United cleared a corner uh, from Columbus and got it down the field and into Steve Clark's net in all of 11 seconds. That's down to Chris Rolfe being really decisive and Fabiana Spindola making no mistake on the finish. My notes here, Ben, just say Fabi, Fabi, Fabi. How great was it to see him back with a goal and an assist at his RFK MLS debut for this year? Yeah, it was obviously really great, and it was really great to see him and Chris Rolfe combining like that. Uh, Obviously, we saw last year how good Fabiana Spindola and Luis Silva can be, but we also saw last year how good Fabiana Spindola and Chris Rolfe can be. So it's going to be interesting going forward to see uh, who gets to start next to Fabiana Spindola. Obviously, Chris Rolfe is a guaranteed starter uh, on this team in whatever position, but I also liked the way that uh, Matt Doyle, the MLS analyst, uh, described it. Uh, he described it as uh, a, a style of counterattacking uh, as good as Bob Bradley's uh, U.S. men's national teams were in counterattacking. Just the fast break, the decisive pass, and then slotting the, the slotting the ball home. So, I think counterattacking can be a very effective style. Uh, a counterattack like that is very pretty and very effective, and if that's where DC United is going to make their bread, they've got the team to be able to do that. Yeah, Jason, that pass by Chris Rolfe, though, that was a ridiculous right. through ball. That was a, a, and, a shrinking window, and it wasn't yes. big to begin with. And to hit it at a full sprint and nail the pass the way he did, that was... I've I've talked about it longer than the actual right. attack lasted. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's a testament to Rolf's technical ability that he can hit. The, I mean, last week we saw him uh, score a difficult goal at, at a full sprint, um, and this week we saw him hit um, at a full sprint um, with, with players around him in a, in a small window, hit a perfect pass to set up a goal. And um, I think the thing there as well was that he had the vision um, to wait for 
the, the window collapsed, and that's what allowed him to have um, an angle to pass to a spindola. At first, Columbus had it set up, but as he got closer to goal, they had to worry about Rolf taking the shot himself or just cutting to his right and leaving everyone behind. So they collapsed, and in that moment that they collapsed, there was a, a sliver of a second where he has the perfect moment to pass to a spindola, and he had the the patience. Um, a, you know, a lesser player gets hurried there and, and gets a little confused and tries to force the pass earlier in the move, and it's easier for them to not let a spindle get in on goal at that point. So as much as I, I mean, the technique was was fantastic, but the patience is just as important um, to just to just wait for the situation to become uh, better and having the, the the courage to say, you know, I know I could make this pass right now, but I'm going to I'm going to give it a chance to get even better so that I, ha- I have an even better angle to make the pass. Um, it's not something that most players can do. Um, in MLS at all. Uh, there, there's only a handful of guys that can do that. Rolf happens to be one of those guys. And th- that's why um, we may see going forward that even though Luis Silva was great last year and has played well when he's come in, um, it might be difficult for him to get back on the field because that the Rolf-Espindola partnership is, is as good as the Silva-Espindola partnership. And arguably, it could be better um, given that they have had less time as a pairing than Silva and Espindola have had. So... Um, we're in a spot where uh, we kind of can't go wrong with, with um, you know, we've got two different players that could partner a spindle, and it would be really good either way. Um, and that's that's something that didn't used to really be the case. Uh, so that's uh, – you can't really complain about it. I know people want to see Silva get a start, but uh, at the same time, it's it's hard to be too upset. Just like, just like it's hard to be too upset that Aguilar doesn't see more time, um, it's not a statement against Aguilar or against Silva. It's that – the players that are in these other positions are playing well. Um, this is not a Tommy Thompson in San Diego, or San Jose, rather, right. situation. Um, this isn't like having uh, some of the players we had in 2013 keeping somebody that's young off the field, um, where you could get frustrated and say, well, look, the team is bad anyway. Why not give these young guys a chance? This is an excellent team, and therefore you're going to have good players sitting out. Um, we have that problem. Seattle has that problem. Not too many other teams around MLS right now have, uh, you know, New England can say the same. They're leaving out someone like Kellen Rowe or Diego Fugundes every week. Um, so there are a few teams in the league that can say that, but most teams would really like to be in a spot where they're saying, we can't find a spot in the 18 for a player like it could be equivalent of Miguel Aguilar is in and out of the 18. Most teams would love to be in that situation. So uh, it's a nice place to be, and, and we'll see how it, it continues to work. Obviously, it means Chris Pontius has to keep playing well. Um, at left midfield, keep the the two-way play uh, has to be good because otherwise at that point you can say, all right, let's move her off to the left and bring Silva in and go for it um, that way. So, uh, But, you know, we're talking about Chris Pontius possibly being dropped in. Most teams would like to have Chris Pontius in their starting lineup. So um, I guess we're basically spoiled at this point. Yeah, Ben Olsen's a little bit spoiled for choice up top. Uh, central midfield, less so at, at on the outside, but but still not exactly hurting for bodies there the way I don't know. If you he throw, was earlier. If you throw Farfan in as, as a wide player, all of a sudden you've got Rolf, yeah, there are Ronius, people, Farfan, Aguilar, De Leon. Um, yeah, there are players who can do double duty for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, the, the and, and that's where you get the extras. Like, like during this upcoming stretch where we've got to play Portland and New England, we're going to be, we could ro- rotate the entire midfield out and still have a pretty good team on the field in both games. That doesn't. That's not to say that the other positions might not be a different situation, but the midfield at least won't be 
uh, significantly weakened in that in that case. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stretch where I'd expect Rolf to start a game and Silva to start yes. a game up top. Yeah. And and maybe even Silva or maybe even Espindola comes out of both of those games or or doesn't start one of them as well because right. you, the, you the worst that. turf in the world up in New England followed by right. more turf in Portland is going to be rough. Yeah. And and you have to go into games like that with a a two game plan. You don't just mm-hmm. throw out your top team in the first game and then see what happens for the next one. Um, there's got to be a setup. And I'm sure that that Olsen's are. I mean, he's seen the schedule. He's not going to go into this surprise that there's games every three days for from now until eternity. So um, I'm sure that I mean, if if someone like me can be bothered to plan these things out for his football manager game, then uh, I'm sure professionals uh, anywhere are doing the same. So we'll see the results of that. Um, it'll take some time to to see how that shakes out, but it's definitely going to be. Uh, a plan, and it's probably going to be a plan for a while, because it's not like, this is what, the only time in May, the only week in May where there's not a midweek game? Is that correct? Yeah, I think yeah. so. so yeah. We're in the middle of a ridiculous stretch of game, or we're starting a ridiculous stretch of games, and that means that there's going to be a lot of rotating from now until July. Uh, let's go back to this game uh, this past weekend, because I can't talk about it enough. Ben, was there anything from this game that surprised you? Surprised me. Um, I yeah, was, I like this question. Yes, it did surprise me. <laughs> um, I was surprised but happy to see Sean Franklin get back in the attack, uh, be able to uh, chip in that uh, the second goal and give DC United a good solid lead uh, fairly early in that game. Um, we haven't. His goal scoring has only been in spurts, and you don't you don't you don't need to count on that from a fullback. But he's right. known to be a more offensive fullback, so seeing him up in the box uh, has been a nice surprise. Um, yeah, and he was up there on this one for for a set piece. He's doing a little less overlapping, especially against a team like Columbus, who are going to throw numbers forward at you and keep a lot of the ball. But but set pieces have been a goldmine for DC United this year. Okay. Last year. Or last week they score against uh, against Vancouver on mm-hmm. essentially a second bite at a set piece after the original one went out of yeah. bounds. They quickly take the throw in and get a basically a second set piece, and that's how Bobby Boswell scores. This week Franklin scores on a set piece, okay. and we defend a set piece to score a goal. Yeah. So set pieces have been huge for us, Ben. Yeah, and another way in which uh, DC United looks a little bit like the Bob Bradley U.S. national teams. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. I, on that, on that, um, the set piece goal, the the Franklin goal. Um, I thought it was really fascinating to watch because uh, that was the post game quotes pointed to that being a rehearsed um, move that wasn't just a random happening. And if you go watch it, you can see that the plan. It's one of these simple plans that works really well because most of the players involved are all just sort of trying to drive traffic to the near post. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fra- Franklin sets up as a pick, and it looks very yeah. obvious that he is just trying to pick Waylon Francis so that Chris Pontius can get loose. And what he's actually – Pontius is actually the, the decoy in this situation because as soon as Pontius and Franklin run past him or, or Pontius and Francis run past Franklin, Franklin spun around and ran to the back post onto the weight, the ball that was floating right to him. Um, and that's something that doesn't happen by accident. That was a, a planned move, and it's really – it's a clever move because teams don't look at Sean Franklin when they're looking for our aerial targets. They're looking at Boswell and Opare and Perry Kitchen and Chris Pontius is probably uh, the fourth person they're worried about. 
Um, Franklin's in there, and you see him looking like he's going to set up a pick, and you buy it because you're like, all right, this is not an aerial threat. Um, we're not worried about having to use an extra man on marking Sean Francis man-to-man as well, um, or Sean Franklin. The, the, the FR names are killing me right now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to, to do something that, that gets a player that no one's looking for uh, a goal on a corner kick um, and to get him free and have him actually score the goal – uh, it shows a something we saw in uh, the early half of 2014 where United was really good at coming up with rehearsed set plays that, that tricked teams and, and were successful. It wasn't just because um, Chris Rolfe or Luis Silva can curl the ball over a wall and, and put it away. That's Those are those are great, but um, sometimes you don't – corner kicks, for example, you're probably not going to see an Olympico uh, more than once a season if you're lucky um, and in the whole league once a season. Um, so you find other ways to score, and you, you don't always have to rely on a big guy winning a header and, and burying a, a header from six roads out. Um, there are various ways to get people moving, and this was one of those where it 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 doesn't even take that many moving parts. You don't have to tell every single player a thing that they have to remember, and there's like some sort of weird um, left arm up followed by right arm up equals this movement. Guys aren't trying to remember that. It just run near post and everyone runs near post and one player has to remember pretend to make a pick and then run to the back post. Um, Do the other thing. Right. Uh, And and when you can misdirect, I mean, granted now we're not going to be able to pull that move. I mean, if if, um, Kansas city uh, or any of the Philadelphia, if any of the teams are playing in may falls for that, then they're stupid. Um, uh, Which, you know, with the union, I don't want to kick them too much when they're down, but they might (laughs) be that we could just keep doing the same thing over and over. They're like, they won't try it again. Um, and we get the Sean Franklin hat trick. Um, but, uh, you know, until we cross that bridge, <laughs> it, it's nice to see United outfoxing somebody. Um, and, and, you know, I noticed this in, in the build-up to the game that Columbus isn't very good on set pieces as is. They just don't have a very big team. Um, you, you take away Kamara and Pogatets, and that's about it for their size. Tony Chani isn't small, but he's not. Uh, he's, a, he's a muscular guy rather than a tall player. Um, so once once you get past their top two, they're vulnerable. And this was a, a funny situation where we we beat them, but we didn't beat them with size. We beat them with intelligence, which is something we don't necessarily get very much credit for. Which is it, but it's the nice intelligence was leveraging the size to fool them. Yes, uh, uh, you know we we definitely used our brain um, to put the size to some use without just being uh, you know a cudgel to say okay, kick it to the big guy and see what happens. Um, and that could have worked too, but this in this case we didn't have to. And and Franklin got the uh, um, for anyone that lingered in the in the stadium after the game. Um, Olson came over, applauded the fans, and then gestured to to everyone to applaud Franklin instead um, for scoring his first goal. Um, and Franklin seemed uh, pretty pleased with with the how things had gone as well. Which you know you score your first goal at a club, it always even if you're right back and you're not. Supposed well, it's to not score. his first goal at the club; it's his first goal of the year. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you, you know, it's funny because he was talking like he had already expected to have scored by now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there were a couple. Like I remember yeah. earlier in the year, there was a a a point where he was in the box and should have had a shot, and he tried crossing it instead, and putting a low ball a couple, across. He's also had a couple um, rebounds that fell to him at the top of the box that he just put well over the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's what he meant. But it's still kind of a funny thought for a right back that is not that has seven goals in like an eight or nine year career um, being like, Oh, I should have, I should have scored one by now. Um, but that, that's a good, a good mentality to have rather than a bad mm-hmm. mentality. Absolutely. 
Uh, we were talking about intelligence there, and DC United managed probably the most intelligent move they've made all year in the run-up to this game, and that was signing Bill Hamid to a new contract. Uh, it's not even a DP contract, which we is what we all thought it would take to keep him around, uh, but he is not going anywhere this summer or this winter unless there's a really big, fat check. I mean an obese check. Uh, coming from whatever foreign power signs him to into D.C. United's coffers and Major League Soccer's coffers. Uh, we don't know the terms of the deal, but but report, reporting from Steve Goff has it at around $350,000 a year, which is about three times what he was making on his old deal. Um, I think the fact that the new salary rules came into effect have probably has something to do with this contract extension. Maybe some salary relief from Eddie Johnson's unfortunate situation. Regardless, Bill Hamid is going to be around for the foreseeable future, and that is undeniably a good thing, Ben. Oh, obviously. I mean, he's up there in with for the MVP of the team. Uh, I think the only other candidates might be Perry Kitchen or probably Spindola, but I think most right-minded people... Oh, Rolf. Would- well, uh, yeah, but I think Hamid is probably a little more important yes. than all of them. Um, and this this is a nice show of loyalty from him because he could have just uh, walked at the end of the year or tried to force a move this summer during the main transfer window, but instead he uh, signed a new contract. And uh, I would I would assume that maybe as soon as this winter, the team will start will be fielding offers and. That is the earliest that I could see him leaving, but they've decided together that it's going to take a large amount of money to pry Bill Hamid loose. And so that's going to help the team, and that's also going to help Hamid in a way because it's going to ensure that he's going at least to a place that has has enough money to make those kinds of moves. He's not going to go to, hopefully, like a lower-level club. So... Yeah, unless MLS has a league policy of not allowing um, allowing release clauses in their, their contracts, I would not be surprised if there was a specific dollar amount in the contract. Mm-hmm. That if United receives an offer for $5 million or $8 million or $10 million, whatever number he and, or they and Bill Hamid agreed on, that they have to accept the offer at that point. I wouldn't I would not be surprised at all if there was one of those. It would it would seem like a good idea for Bill, at least, to right. have a clause like that so that as good as United has been to its players, it can't suddenly change its practice. Right. And DC United uh, has letting players go when they want. Yeah, and DC United has had a good track record of being good to their players like that. Uh, and the people who have mm-hmm. maintained that track record are still there. I mean, Dave Casper has been with the team a long time, and he's still in charge of player personnel moves. And uh, Ben Olsen is there, and I feel like he is also good in that regard. So the people who have the track record are still there. So, But, reg- yeah. but regardless, I, yeah, it will still take a significant amount of money uh, probably a a decent amount more than what United got for Andy Nahar. I would expect at least a million or two more than the Nahar number at the minimum. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would. I would only. Um, I would. I would. I would just quickly point out that um, when Nahar was transferred, I think 
most fans were pretty unified in thinking that the transfer fee was lower than expected. Um, it's kind of the harsh reminder of the reality of being a team in MLS. Um, and also, unlike DeAndre Yedlin, um, who was sold for more money, um, Yedlin had the World Cup bump, um, whereas Nahar did not. And if Hamid went this this uh, this coming winter, he won't either. And the World Cup bump, even though it's totally irrational and ridiculous and you end up with Rice and Bolhi, um when you buy during <laughs> after the World Cup, um, it is a real thing and it does drive fees up higher than they should. Um, and it's it's a good time to be a club that sells, but uh, it's not a great time uh, otherwise. Um, so we may end up seeing a figure that maybe fits the outside world a little better and maybe fits the preconception of um, MLS uh, in, a, in a sort of harsh terms. Um, I, I'm not saying that I expect it. I'm just saying that there's a chance after, the, after watching how the Nahar deal played out, there's a chance that United doesn't necessarily get as much. And it could also go to this, um, the release clause, uh, as we've, we've already talked about. Um, it could be that the release clause is lower than um, we might have expected. Um, but the main thing is that by signing him, it, it, it means that we're not going to see Hamid leave for nothing. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, Hamid, there was a little video that the club put out um, where Hamid talked about how proud he was to be the goalkeeper. He, he referred to him as being the goalkeeper for this city. Um, so it's not, it's sort of the opposite of the Eddie Johnson, um, I don't play for your city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the opposite, and uh, if you if you uh, want somebody to feel uh, good about not just for their soccer ability but their loyalty to the team, it's kind of hard to top something like that. Also, if your rec yeah. team is in need of a goalkeeper, uh, uh, apparently Bill Hamid is here for the city. But only if you play in the city. If you play out in yes. Northern Virginia Correct. or Maryland, if you're in the suburbs, will not. You have yeah, to go not. find. You have to go sign uh, the league pool goalkeeper or Rice and Bully. Or yeah, Ray actually is available. If you, if you probably call not Philadelphia Union and make, an, make a cash offer, they're going to be interested at this point. I, uh, all right. So so that's it for for Columbus and in the past. Let's turn our attention now to the Sporks. Sporting Kansas City will be coming to DC United Saturday night. Uh, kickoff is at 7 p.m. The game will be on MLS Live and Comcast Sportsnet. Uh, before we get to anything else in this, I, I have to say, Benny Failhaber's hair is operating on another level right now. I don't know what that level is. I don't, I'm unable to locate it geographically. I don't know whether it's a higher level, a lower level, or just some weird parallel universe level. But, but his hair is operating in hitherto before unseen realms. I feel like I'll call it the for those of you who haven't seen it. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, he's, he's got a mustache. So he's got the facial hair going and then he's got a very strange sort of mullet where it's not just cut short on the sides. It's completely shaved a well, very closely uh, clipped and then shaved into one side is KC, and on the other side is a Harry Potter type of lightning bolt. Um, it's it's quite a look, and he's going to be hard to miss on the field on Saturday. Um, about the, the Sporks more broadly, they're currently fifth now in the Western Conference. They moved west this year. 13 points from nine games, only two losses so far this year, which is still one more than D.C. United, just throwing it out there. 
Uh, their two losses, both on the road at the Galaxy and at FC Dallas. They're coming off a one nothing home win over the Chicago Fire uh, this weekend. And they actually look kind of vulnerable in that game, I thought. I think uh, Chicago may have been a little unlucky not to, to find a, the goal they were looking for in them. Uh, Jason, what's the story on the Sporks this year? It's been interesting because they started with their – they tried to play their normal 4-3-3, high pressure, et cetera. Um, it didn't really work. They weren't they weren't really firing on all cylinders. Um, so what they did was they dropped um, the wide forwards into the midfield. They went to, I think, four or five games in a row of playing 4-1-4-1. Um, they might have still called it a 4-3-3, but if Dom Dwyer is standing 40 yards ahead of the rest of his teammates, then he doesn't have – there are no other forwards on the field at that point. Um They've had some injuries. Um, Graham Zusi was out for a few weeks. Uh, Christian Nemeth, the Hungarian player they signed in the offseason, missed a, a few games. Um, that contributed. That was part of the reason why they were dropping players off, because at one point they were playing um, Jimmy Madronda as a wide man, and he's very much a central midfielder. So it became sort of a um, throw-it-at-the-wall-and-see-if-it-sticks situation. But Zusi and Nemeth are back. Um, they've gone the last two games. They've gone back to a a real four three three. They may have actually stumbled onto a problem. They've been, they've had a problem at defensive midfield since Uri Rozel left, and mm-hmm. it didn't really get cured in the off season. Roger Espinosa came back, but he plays a little further ahead of the anchor role that's in their formation. So it didn't his return didn't really fix that problem. Um, they gave Servando Carrasco a few weeks, um, and in this past game. Uh, they brought in uh, a player named Sony Mustavar, who's Haitian. He played in France. I think he mostly played in the second division, but has at least one year of playing in the first, the top flight in France. Um, he looked a little better, um, a little more comfortable with the simplicity of the role of just holding that zone, uh, connecting passes, not necessarily... Carrasco's problem is he wants to be a little too all over the place. He wants to get stuck in all over the field. Um, and that's not really, that role is about staying home and being patient and being disciplined. Um, Mustavar might, I mean, it's, it's only, it's the first game he started though. So it's hard to say that it's definitely a trend, but he looked better in that, more comfortable in that role, um, than anyone they've tried before. So that might help, but they've still got a problem in the back. Um, Michael Parra, uh, is out for the season for, I think this is the fourth time in his career. He's had a season ending injury, which is absurd. And, and it's not even because he's like, lacking fitness it's they're always severe like bones or tendons being broken kind of injuries mm-hmm. it's just the guy just has terrible luck um and the problem for this happened to opara last year and opara was the backup for colin and beesler colin's now in orlando city opara had moved up as the starter and they didn't bring in a player to be that other center back to ro- rotate in so They've got Kevin Ellis playing center back, and everyone that's seen Kevin Ellis play in MLS can see that he's not an MLS-quality starting player. Um, I'm, in all honesty, on a good playoff team. I don't even think he would make the bench on just about any other team in the playoff race. Um, so they're very vulnerable there. Matt Beasler can only do so much. Um, Jaleel Anibaba uh, is in at right back, even though he looks more like a center back than Ellis does. He hasn't played well. He hasn't really adjusted to um, – because Kansas City system demands the fullbacks come forward a lot. And he's not – he's a stay-at-home defensive defender. Um, he's not a modern fullback, I guess is the best way to put it. So he looks a little uncomfortable, and then he's playing alongside Ellis on the right half of that defense. So 
that's an area they're very vulnerable. They just rotated out um, this past week. They benched the Chilean goalkeeper, Luis Marine, that they brought in in the offseason. Um, he got dropped for Tim uh, Tim Melia, who uh, has been both a Chivas USA goalkeeper and a league pool goalkeeper. Um, so apparently, Mel- apparently the expectations were very low, and Melia actually looked competent. Um, on crosses and coming out for the ball, which is more than KC fans were saying for uh, Marine. So I would almost expect at this point that um, Melia gets another another game since he did get a shutout. Um, he was part of a shutout anyway. I but mean, when you're coming from such lofty, uh, <laughs> such a lofty system as Shivas USA and the MLS pool goalkeeper system, yes, you are are definitely going to be given a few chances. I think you've earned a lot of leeway at that point coming through that kind of uh, I, I can't even think of the word. <laughs> there is a really from the word. coaching from the coaching tree that brought you the MLS pool goalkeeper. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh so so clearly it's a team that's vulnerable at the back. You know, they did shut out Chicago who I know the first impression that most people had watching Chicago the first couple of weeks was that they were just horrendous. Uh, it turns out that was sort of an illusion. They were just sort of standing in for Philadelphia at the time. Um, <laughs> Philadelphia has taken that role on. Um, Chicago is better now than they were back then, and Kansas City does deserve some credit for not conceding, but I'm not sure they really deserved the win, and that's happened a couple times now where they're, they've won without necessarily being the better team. But uh, I mean, that happens in MLS. DC United's oh, been yeah. a beneficiary of that, too. This oh, yeah. Year. Um and they're still obviously a team that has – we've already mentioned several of their best players. We mentioned Dom Dwyer. Graham Zussi plays for the national team when he's healthy. Uh, Benny Philhaber probably should. Well, he would probably fit in very well with the national team if, if Klinsman would, you know, watch the games um, or watch them with the right mindset. I don't know what's happening there. Um, Roger Espinosa um, is an excellent player. Dom Dwyer scored, what, 20 goals last year? Um Christian Nemeth has, has looked very good playing on the left. Um, getting in, The thing is, he's looked good as a goal-scoring left forward rather than as a, a player who stays wide and cr- creates for others. Um, it's, it's a little different uh, a few years ago when Zussi played on the left and they played CJ Sapong on the right, or even when Kai Kamara was there, um, where they used the target winger idea and they just the wide right forward would just crash the post, uh, the back post looking mm-hmm. to win headers. It's a little different. Nemeth is more of a fast player. Um, he's not super fast, but he's quick, and he's uh, he's got a good first few steps. Um, and so they're looking at the back post, but they're not looking in the air. They're looking more on the ground or for through balls. And he's been very effective at, at just running onto those and poking them in from a, a promising spot. So um, watching him when the ball's on the other side of the, the field is going to be important. And also, um, you know, Benny Philhaber's playing very well, and if, if you give him... Um, it'll be the third week in a row we've played an excellent number 10 um, with Pedro Morales and Federico Iguain, and we've mostly dealt with those players, and now Benny Philhaber's a little different challenge, but uh, United's going to have to match or exceed the performance we've seen the last two weeks in midfield to deal with the fact that, that because Philhaber can create um, a lot out of very little, and he's got Dwyer to aim at as well as Nemeth, so there's there's a lot going on defensively for United, but they really should be able to score some goals in this one, given the chaos at the back and the fact that it's not like Kansas City doesn't have very many other people to turn to. Um, there aren't other players that are pushing for a, minutes at center back or at right back. It's it's kind of 
this is what they've got. So it's, Peter, a, good time to, it's a good time to play them. Peter Vermees is going to suit back up and put himself in at center back. He might be better than Kevin Ellis right now. Um, <laughs> Kevin Ellis really needs like two seasons of solid USL play to develop as a player. I don't know how he continues being. I guess Kansas City just runs out of, you know, they, they sign who they can and they're like, well, I guess this guy is going to be here. Um, and so, and now he's a starting center back. So that's their problem. There you go. Uh, so you mentioned their defense, Jason. Ben, who do you want to see step up for United this week to to take advantage of the the chaotic back line that that Sporting Kansas City, especially given the fact that that the Sporks don't press anywhere near as high or as hard as they they did at their their heyday a couple years ago. I mean, I think on the forward line, you've got to stick with Chris Rolfe and Fabiana Spindola. I think that their soccer IQ is uh, and the way that Fabian Espindola and Chris Ruff both will pull, they pull players out of their defensive shape and cause havoc that way is going to work well against the Sporting Kansas City back line. Um, in the, in the wide positions, I see Ben Olsen staying with Chris Pontius and Nick DeLeon. Um, I think you want to have a little more attacking flair out there, so I think you do keep Pontius out there, even if he's not playing his best attacking soccer right now. Um, but I think having someone like Michael Farfan in is a little too defensive, a little too uh, non-direct for this kind of game. Maybe if you want to switch out Rolf and put him on the left and bring in Luis Silva to go more attacking, you can do that as well, but I think the interplay between Rolf and Espindola up top is too good right now. So I think you just keep it the way it is, uh, and you leave Davy Arno and Perry Kitchen in the middle, and I think you just expect Rolf and Espindola to cause havoc on that back line themselves, and then whoever else is jumping up into the attack will benefit from that. All righty. I want to talk a little bit more about Dom Dwyer. He's obviously a handful, and last year he scored a lot of goals. He hasn't found his finishing touch yet this year. He scored one or two, I think, so far this season, but has missed many, many more chances. Jason, is this just a an unlucky streak for Dwyer, or is is there something worried, to worry about for sports fans? Uh, no, I think he's he's just in a little bit of a... I wouldn't even go so far as to call it a rut. Um, it's, it's, it's not like he hasn't scored... Um, uh, maybe in the highest leagues in Europe, where your you know 27 goals is a uh, a, to- a, a tally that a good sc- scorer is supposed to co- get it, be able to get to, um, or 20 goals I should say, not 27. Um, but in MLS, two goals in in eight or nine games is it's not great. Uh, it's not great for Kansas City that um, he's not scoring as much as he did because last year if he was kind of carrying their offense. Um, mm-hmm. as far as goal scoring went. Um, but the fact that they've got Nemeth and he's got three, um, it kind of covers that up. And, and maybe that's sort of by design. Maybe Vermes wanted somebody else that could share the goal scoring load rather than having to rely on Dwyer always coming through. Um, you know, th- They're both looking for the same kind of service. So if the balls happen to be going to the back post a little more than to the near post, maybe that's why Nemeth is, is on three and Dwyer's on two. I don't think he's playing particularly badly. I think he's maybe a slightly off last year, but um, I think maybe they've just created a little bit more of a balanced, um, a balanced approach to offense uh, 
where whereas last year it was clear what they were trying to do. They were trying to find Dwyer because he had to score the goals. Um, at least the goals that were not set piece goals. Um, so this year they've got that that extra wrinkle with with Nemeth, who uh, Vermes has been very consistent, saying that um, Nemeth is going to be a big deal. Um, he's going to score a lot of goals. He's going to be very productive. Uh, the Hungarian national team is not uh, hasn't been uh, very well regarded for like seventy years, um, <laughs> and he wasn't playing at a particularly high level in Europe. But um, one thing you can say about Vermes is that he is he has a good eye for talent. And he appears to have found a player that really fit in. Um, so, so it's not. I, I think for Dwyer, he'll be fine. Um, and if anything, having the the two pronged attack is probably better for Kansas City. They don't just you don't just have to deal with one player all the time. Um, but but at the same time, Dwyer is capable of carrying that load. Maybe maybe some of those games where Nemeth was out um, and Zusi was out, it was more of a lack of service. Uh, but now that they've got going forward, they've got their full team. Um, the, the the front three and then Phil Haber and Espinosa, uh, that's that's full strength for them and and I think we're still going to, we're still still going to see it uh something similar to the Dwyer that was capable of scoring 20 goals last year I, I think as long as they've got all of their weapons on the field then we're we're dealing with a full strength Dwyer it's not so much that he's in a rut it's that maybe the team itself is is in a little bit of a rut. All right, I still think the biggest danger from Sporting Kansas City is in their midfield. If you get their midfield under control, you're more likely to come out with a little bit of success in that game. Benny Failhaber, Roger Espinoza, like you said, whoever plays that anchor role behind the two of them, or if Failhaber rotates back and and plays that, they they have That's happened a couple times this year. Yeah, and and he's done well playing that kind of register role. Yeah, because... Um, it's interesting when he plays there because he's really not going to play the role the same way that Carrasco or Mustavar play it. He sits in as a deep-lying playmaker, um, and they mm-hmm. play Paulo Nagamora, and it's sort of like two running destroyers in front of Failhaber. But I, I don't think we're going to see. I think Nagamora is going to be on the bench, and Failhaber is going to be further forward. Yeah, honestly, I think if I were pretty Peter Vermees, I would think about playing Failhaber in that deeper role to get him more space away from Perry Kitchen and Davey Arno, whoever that is. Try to force DC United into that that four one three two we saw in Vancouver and then figure out where the gaps are in that and exploit them is where I think Peter Vermees should go against us. I don't know that he will, but Benny Failhaber lying deep where the space is scares me a lot more than Benny Failhaber in traffic right now. Um, who knows what will come on Saturday. Uh, so my my last question is always on these segments. How do we game plan against them? How does Ben Olsen address the weapons that Sporting Kansas City misfiring though they might be, misfiring though they may be? How does Ben Olsen uh, plan for them? Well, I think we saw a good um, preview of it against Columbus because United had to deal with. Um, Justin Merrim, and then later um, Kristen Seindorsen coming in off the left looking for goal-scoring chances. Uh, for Franklin and for De Leon or Farfan, whoever's at right midfield, uh, they've got to be very aware, no matter where the ball is, they've got to be very aware and alert that that back post run is coming um, on that side of the field, and they've got to be able to track track those runs when it's their turn to track, and they've got to communicate when it's time to hand those off, um, which is something United did really well against Columbus. There wasn't the moment where no one knew who had who. 
Um, that's got to be there. Um, preventing the through ball is big with Failhaber and Graham Zusi. Um, and really, um, Zusi has looked a little off. I think being aggressive with him and, and just really being constantly in his face is going to go a long way because he just seems the game's happening a little slowly for Graham Zusi. And I think if you're in his face, he's just not going to be able to do much. Uh, he's going to have to play play the ball to somebody else. Um, but if you're aggressive with him and you make Phil Hopper's life miserable, which which to to uh, United's credit has been a a fairly consistent thing over the the past couple seasons. Um, even when we were bad, we played Kansas City fairly close. Um, so the, that's really where the game has to be won is is making sure that Failhaber, no matter where he lines up, uh, can't be a playmaker. He's he's got to rely on somebody else to do that. And then watching for Nemeth and and Dwyer. Um, basically, you don't want to let Kansas City in behind, which uh, we touched on earlier. Can't, Columbus couldn't get in behind, so it's it's a similar. Um, a similar overall goal. If you don't let them in behind, those the chances that Kansas City's scoring on aren't going to be there. Um, as far as going forward, you got to attack Kevin Ellis and Jalilani Baba. The, the right half of their defense is a mess. Um, they've been they can't really decide who their left back is right now. Um, Seth Sinovich was injured, and then Marcel uh, De Jong, who plays for Canada, was getting some time, but he kept getting subbed out for um, Amadou Dia, who's not even a left back by trade. Um, Sinovich came back last week. I guess he's going to start again. I don't know if that was he had just come back fit or if he was legitimately being rotated in because Dijon was being punished. Um, I don't know what's going on with their left side, but regardless of which player it is, it's going to be stronger on their left. So attacking Ellis and Anibaba is going to be key. I think um, someone like Espindola is going to drive. Uh, Kevin Ellis is not going to know what to do with uh, Espindola. So, um, I mean, United always looks for a spindle going forward anyway, but uh, in this game they might even want to do so to a higher extent than they already do um, because there's really no excuse to not terrorize that this, that half of their defense. They're just, it's a mess right now, and they're not going to sort it out in a week of training because, quite frankly, there is no sorting that out. That That's a that's like a couple years of work, uh, and they're not going to fix it. Uh, so... Um, Maybe we see Rolf moved out to the left um, and Silva come in this game because um, Rolf coming in off the left would c- cause that extra element of, of a problem. Um, but either way, I expect United to try and find that side of the field on a regular basis rather than uh, they've been very big on attacking through the middle, um, and we'll see that some more, and Ellis is obviously there, so it's not like you can't get at him there. But I think left of, left of center uh, for United is going to be a, a pretty fruitful way to attack. Ben, anything you want to chime in on about this one before we sign off for the night? Uh, I guess the only thing is it'll be interesting to see what constitutes the bench for United. Uh, I think Marcus Halstey might actually make his debut on the bench uh, this week, so it's pretty down there in the weeds. It's more of a nerd thing, but what would we be on this website and this podcast if we weren't down in the weeds and into nerd stuff? So I'll be interested to see whether or not Halstey makes the bench and who he replaces if he does, which would probably be Jared Jeffrey. By definition, we are a podcast and could not exist if not for nerds. So we are all about the nerd stuff here. Thank you all for listening this week. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at Black and Red U. Send your emails, hate mails, and love letters 
to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Ratings and reviews uh, really help us out there. If you go to either of those, please drop a note. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud, where you can find all of our back catalog in one easy, streamable place. Um, and I think that's it. Tell your friends in the tailgate. Tell your friends about us. Uh, word of mouth is also super helpful. Speaking of tailgates. And speaking of tailgates, <laughs> we will be hosting one. Thank you, Ben, for that ever-so-subtle nudge. Uh, we will be hosting a Black and Red United tailgate before the Philadelphia Union match uh, at RFK Stadium, obviously against DC United, on May the 30th. Mark your calendars, buy your tickets, get to Lot 8, join us. We will have a tent in the hospitality area. So come meet us, come meet the other writers of Black and Red United, come meet all your fellow readers, listeners, and commenters. Well, not all, but uh, several of your fellow listeners, readers, and commenters on the site. It was a lot of fun last year. Um, coincidentally, we met Luciano Emilio. He was at the tent yes. next door, just, and we all got to hang out with him. Nearby. Um, we all that get... was not planned. We cannot yeah, promise so... uh, any meeting anyone. Uh, we can't promise, for example, that uh, Leanne will meet Connor Doyle. We can't make that guarantee. Those are things <laughs> we can't promise. We can hope, though. We can try uh, with our minds, but that's all we can really do. Yeah, I'm just saying, last time we had one of these, cool things happened. So, yes. so obviously, there's something in the air at these, because a sample size of one is really the the, the target you're looking for. That's how science uh, works. <laughs> if it happened once, it's definitely going to happen every time. I mean, that's the basis for a lot of religions, so, so let's go with it. Uh <laughs> Be sure to come to that tailgate. And until that tailgate comes around, tell your friends about this show uh, at your next tailgate. Until then, until next week, I'm Adam. They're Jason and Ben. Say goodnight, Jason. Good night, Jason. <laughs> <laughs>